What's going on, everyone? My name is Chris Tondewold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where I interview indie artists, content creators, athletes, and small business owners who share how they continually discover and maintain a balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. In this episode, I welcome James Hardiman of American Martial Arts Gym. We talk about what drives him, embracing the savage mentality, the different approaches to the mental game of combat sports, and developing a sense of self and the confidence to always bet on yourself. James is opening a new location at 25656 AP Hill Boulevard in Port Royal, Virginia. The grand opening is on September 4th at 2 p.m. Keep up with all his updates on Instagram at CoachJames369. And for the latest news on AMAG, go to amagmma.com. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and share the show if you can. Thank you for everything. Here's a show. Enjoy. You have a boot camp, I think, coming up, and that's going to be a six-week program at both locations or just in Waldorf? So that six-week program is just my own program. Okay. I am going to run it under the guise of American Martial Arts Gym, which is gym I own, but... It's like my own personal program where I'm going to develop 10 guys kind of outside of the gym. Okay. So it's going to involve strength and conditioning programs, health and fitness programs. We're going to revamp their diet. And then the big portion is the mental program. Right. Because that that's what I find. Everyone's motivated for two weeks. You get into the third weeks, you got to... You got to have the mentality for it. Yeah. So a lot of people, they see myself and they see I've lost like about 100 pounds. And they always wonder how I could do it, how I could do it, how I do it. But in my brain and with my mentality, I don't see how I couldn't do it. Okay. Okay. That was the task at hand. The task at hand was I needed to lose weight so I could fight in a new weight class. It wasn't about anything personal, like, oh, I wanted to look better or sure. I wanted to be in more shape. Shit, I thought I looked good fat. <laughs> but it was what I needed to do. And because it became a task, then I just had to accomplish it. So I'm trying to get the guys in the program to realize, especially as men, that's why I'm only taking men. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can help women in their mentality with specific task, but how the fuck am I going to tell a woman how to be a woman? Right. But a man, I can tell a man how to be a man. Maybe not specifically like how they need to be in their entire life, but I can get the bases covered. Yeah. Fitness, health, uh, accomplishing task. If they need help on how to relate to their kids, whatever, the mentality training we do is going to help in all that. Because I think right now that's one of the biggest things that we just don't have as a support system for that. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of mentality coaches. And the ones that you do meet, half of them motherfuckers never did shit. (laughs) So... It's like, where are you developing this mentality from? 
you know? So that's what makes the program worth. Um, I'm charging 500 I don't usually like to tell everyone the price out loud because they they think that they're like 500 for six weeks, but you're gaining 20 years plus of my combat sports, combat right. experience. You don't have to go through all that. I had to go through years of being in a ranger battalion. I had to go through deployments. I had to go through fights, tons of fight camps. Tons of jujitsu training, jujitsu competitions, you know, you name it. And I got that in a nice condensed six week program, like a pretty tough boot camp. There's different times that you need to do certain stuff. And at the end of the six week program, you'll be a different person. And the confidence that you're going to gain after the six week program is the confidence that you have in yourself to go hard. Yeah. You know, like for now, for right now, uh, this past weekend, I probably gained 13 pounds. Uh, A buddy of mine had a birthday and we decided to eat a bunch of pizza and shit. That'll do it. Yeah. But as we were eating it, I didn't feel bad about it at all because I know that this next week, if I don't want to eat for three days, I'm okay with that. Sure. Like, it's not a problem at all. I can just, okay, I'm not eating. And there's no struggle. Like, I'm not going to get two days into it and be like, oh, I'm so hungry. <laughs> like, I've already done this. So my confidence to go hard in anything is extremely high. Do you think that comes back from the, the ranger training? Um, I actually wasn't an actual ranger I was a part of a support battalion that got attached to Rangers. But like I said, it's the mentality. Like we train with those guys. Like when I deployed, I deployed with 216 Ranger Battalion. We left the whole main body unit. So we were completely engulfed in this mentality. We wore all the same shit they wore. I went on all the the things that they did. Now... I wasn't an infantryman or anything like that. But just being engulfed in that and you gain that mentality through the whole thing, that definitely helps. But I would say having a reason why, like why you're going to do anything, is probably the most important. And that's, I tell all my fighters, like, especially when the camp gets hard, because you get to week three or four of your training camp and it's going to break you. That's what it's designed for. You got to just remember why you're doing it over and over. I'm lucky I have kids, so I can always think about my kids. Yeah. But if you don't have kids, like before I had kids, I was just thinking about legacy. Okay. Every single time I would try to accomplish anything when I was 20, 21, before I had kids, I was always thinking like, I'm going to try to make my last name great. Like, when people remember me, they're going to remember a great person. If shit got tough, like, I would always think in my head. Like, for example, when we were in the Army, they used to smoke us and make us do tons of push-ups and all sorts of shit. And guys would fall on their face and lay down. And I would always be a guy who tried to stay up longer than everybody. And when it got tough, I'd be like, a great man wouldn't fall. Like, a, a great guy wouldn't fall. 
So even though I didn't believe that I was great at the time, I just was always imagining like my future self right. looking down on me if I quit. Yeah. Dress for the job that you want. Put your image out there. Have that goal. I know personally for me, like that's one of the things that I struggle with is setting a goal and then having like these individual tasks that I feel okay about and saying, okay, I'm going to complete A, B, and C, and now I'm on the way. But if I don't have that like goal for it, like I don't have a specific goal for the show, for example, right? I want to grow it as much as I can, but I don't have, oh, I want to be like top comedy or top interview course, show, right? But if you have that mentality, if you have that goal in mind, then you can stay on a path. And then if you have people like yourself that are able to actually guide you along and help you along with that, then it's like easy at that point almost. So I would, I would almost say, like, for example... My goal when I came into jujitsu, I always have unrealistic goals at the top. (laughs) Like you said, number one podcast. That's unrealistic in the sense of we're not going to do that tomorrow. Like we're not going to be number one tomorrow. It's not unrealistic in the sense that it is possible. Yeah. You know, you know, you don't know what people like. So when I came into jujitsu and started opening schools, my idea was always to be number one jujitsu school. Unrealistic goal, right? Fucking crazy. But the goals you will make along the way of trying to achieve that will definitely put you in B plus. Yeah. You know, I'm opening my third jujitsu school on September 4th. Awesome. That's the grand Where? opening. That's in Port Royal, Virginia. Fantastic. Yeah. That's just in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So it will be the seventh school I've opened. Okay. And through different business ventures, I parted ways with some schools and some people have parted ways with me. <laughs> but with the idea of possibly being the number one school in the world, that always makes me treat my school now and those students and the way I train those students as if we're going to be number one. Yeah. So if you ask any of my students, they'll be like, Coach James, Coach James is fucking crazy. <laughs> he he's fucking grilling us constantly, screaming at us. And I got people in there looking at me like, chill, brother. Right. This, this is a local jujitsu school at Waldorf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yelling at us like we're world champion right. contenders. But to me, that's where we're headed. Right. Like, to me, that's where we're headed. We're going to be one of the best schools. My plan is to have schools every fucking where. Like a Black Belt Academy. Mm-hmm. See them mm-hmm. Taekwondo schools? Yeah. I'm trying to be like them. Can't go to any town in this state without seeing a Black Belt Academy. No, they're everywhere. Yeah, it's amazing. So when I was a kid, I went to Black Belt down in St. Mary's. Um, and look. They have adults now. Yep. That's that's where I'm headed. Well, and it's funny because one of the dudes that I trained with when I was younger, he owns the Prince Frederick one. So, that's awesome. Right. So it, it 
it's really like what you're talking about. Like you, you start from the ground up and then you can continue to build and build. And it sounds like for you also that you're able to kind of get all of your interest into one place and kind of build up everybody around you as much as you can. Well, you need the people. You need the infrastructure. Where Black Belt Academy has an advantage is they're not fighting for real. Right. Like right now, our school is on fire. We just, uh, me and another young kid just won some MMA fights in dominant fashion. Then we went out to a jiu-jitsu school. Our school took second. And we competed with a first place school, but they had about three times as more competitors. So they got a lot more points. Yeah. So it wasn't really close on the sense that um, they have more competitors. They did have really good jujitsu, so I can't say that they only won because they have more competitors. If the competitors were even, I'd like to see what happened. Sure, but it yeah. would have been close. Um, the school that took first was Diego Bispo School, and Diego Bispo he's a world champion, and all his jujitsu students are top notch. But still placing. Um, second is super tough to do. Yeah. So right now, the opinion on the school and with all the students is we're amazing. This is awesome. Three months from now, we lose two fights. We get our ass whooped in a couple of competitions. Then the reputation around the gym is uh, we're struggling. Right. Now, I've been in the game for a long time, so I know the ups and downs, but a newer student doesn't. So they stay with us three months. They go through the rough spill. Then they leave. And their permanent opinion for a lifetime is that, oh, that school struggles. Right. Same student comes during a hot time. They leave. Their lifetime opinion is, that's the best school in the world. You guys don't know anything. These are the underground kings. Black Belt Academy doesn't have to deal with that. Right. If they do send a competition team, it's the best of the best kids. They usually do pretty well. Taekwondo competitions, they're not that tough. It's cool to watch because some of them are like spinning shit for sure. Olympic Taekwondo is ruining Taekwondo. Because of the point system? Yeah, Yeah. and those electronic fest. Oh, I forgot about that, that they had those... Yeah, Yeah, if you watch Olympic-level Taekwondo, it's two guys completely guarding the vest and just trying to, like, touch it to make it go off. It's not guys, like, doing effective kicks. Back in the day, like, I know some guys who came up in the Taekwondo circuit, like a dude named Mike Easton. They They were doing Taekwondo competitions where they're knocking each other out, you know? So he gained real fighting skills from that. He ended up fighting in the UFC. Yeah. So you can't knock all Taekwondo. I'm a Taekwondo black belt myself. I love Taekwondo kicks and all that, especially against uh, like a Muay Thai guy. Right. Because you can use the faster versions of Taekwondo kicks to kind of keep distance and match the pace with kicks against them a little bit and nullgate some of that power. I got uh, some tough Muay Thai guys, and they got legs like tree trunks. So you're not, gonna, you're not going to you're not going to sit in there and get kicked yeah. multiple <laughs> times when it's just a kickboxing match. I can't take the guy to the ground. Right. 
and I can't match him in them kicks, I got to figure out some way. So I use the in-and-out taekwondo style, the front kicks, the side kicks to kind of manage that range better. Go off of different angles, try to get a little bit of better looks. Yeah, but that's where the Black Belt Academy has an advantage is they will have a more consistent product where we do have a consistent product. We're training the same. We're producing the same amount of talent. It's just our customers judge us based off of competition results. Yeah. You know, and if you have a sports team, which Black Belt Academy is, and they're not really competing in the sport, they have an advantage. Yeah. I never even really thought about that because you you look at like the, the UFC guys, right? Like some of the schools like uh, American Top Team, like the, the ones that you know about are the ones that produce champions, right? Yeah. And those are the ones that are, have like the, the most clout. But I s- distinctly remember that like a uh, Faber and American Top Team and Dillashaw, like once, I think that's what it was, once the bad news or the bad blood kind of comes out in the open. Now your, your idea of that gym is completely different. Even if the fighters are still doing pretty well individually, the mark of the whole gym may go in a completely different direction. Now, Yeah. In our gym, we had a big split um, a while ago and that those always hurt the team and Uriah Faber has a great gym out there with Team Alpha Male. Yeah. I actually have some friends that I grew up with who train there now. They actually fight out there. And that's what happens when you bring a bunch of outside coaches and things like that. We've been very guarded as a gym. And the reputation get when you guard your gym from outside coaches is that you yourself aren't a good coach. So you're trying to hold your people back so they don't figure something out. And so that's why Uriah brought Dwayne in. Right. Was to actually help his guys out and all that. And Dwayne ended up leaving and taking some of his best students. I'm very guarded with my students. I have a phenomenal MMA coach. He actually gave me my black belt. Is Tenya Dixon, three-time MMA world champion fought in World Series of Fighting, which was on NBC and everything. Yeah, Yeah, my man fought in front of 5 million people. That's insane. So crazy. crazy. The most people I think I fought in in front of like three or 400 people. Okay. And that feels insane. I bet. You know, so I couldn't imagine the steel nerves my man had to go fight in NBC and a packed arena. Yeah, yeah. The adrenaline's got to be unreal, but I would also assume that's where the chemistry between fighter and coach has to be really, really tight so they can actually hear what you're saying with that huge room and all that noise and try to get the pointers and, and the yeah, looks Yeah, the in there. crazy thing is if you train with your coach with what you're saying in mind, like, I need to sync up. I need to pull his voice out. You can do that. I try to get all my fighters during the fight camp to focus on my voice. And they go in there and they always say, I couldn't hear nothing but your voice, coach. 
So, and it's the same. I can't hear nothing but my coach's voice. My last fight couldn't make it out there. Okay. I didn't hear anything. I was in there wow, by myself. Okay. I watched the fight and I heard people yelling out instruction, you know, my corners. I couldn't hear nothing. So I got a coach. That's my coach forever. Yeah. I'm never going to be able to hear anybody else. <laughs> but that relationship, I didn't bring him in. Instead, we worked some events together and we got along good. So he invited me to come and train. And I made the trip an hour and some change to him for like a year. Okay. And bringing some of my guys to train with me. Then he started coming down to my gym and helping me and some other guys get ready for fights. And that's how that was made. So I always caution people who have their own gym. They get excited. They want to bring all these outside people in like, oh, I have a gym. Come train, come train. Yeah, yeah. It's like, man, build your team up. Stand on your own shit for a while. Build your own respect. Nobody's going to like you. My first couple of years at AMAG, I didn't work with nobody. Okay. I made sure that everybody knew we weren't friendly. When we show up to competition, we're here to win it. We're here to smash your guys. We're not here to be friends with y'all. Then after we got a little bit of respect in jiu-jitsu, then I kind of started being friendly, making a few friends. But, I mean, there's still a bunch of jiu-jitsu gyms that don't like us, and we don't like them. Well, I would I would think that you want to get your own stamp and your own brand and, like, prove to everybody else first that you are for real. That That is not the case. Most of the time... People get into jujitsu. They were already friends with a bunch of these people around. So they open their own spot and they open it up on some kumbaya shit. And they trying to be friends with everybody around everything. And I'm not knocking that. Do what you got to do. But man, everyone not liking us and trying to beat us and us being the team to beat, even when we weren't that good of a team, made us. Yeah. Like that gave us an edge. That gave us a tough competitive competitive spirit. I needed to know that when I was going to a tournament, these guys didn't like us and they wanted to see us lose. I don't I don't do well competing when I'm friends with everybody in the bracket. I have my worst tournaments when I compete against guys that I like. Right. When I compete against guys I don't like, I have my best fights. And you can even see that in like the, the upper echelons of, of making a fight and all the stuff that goes into it. Like uh, Wonder Boy, Steven Thompson, the nicest dude that you can ever think He's of. He's not that nice. That's his persona, right? Yeah, it's fake. That's good enough for yeah. me. Uh, I, I fully believe that. But at the same time, I would think there's a level of friendliness there that he might be okay with, but everybody else has yep. to like... You got to get your mind right for it. That's his mind game. Yeah. People don't understand that. Just because a guy is a white belt doesn't mean he's not in the same mental warfare as these professional fighters. Like when he goes to a competition, he's looking at like, oh, it's a white belt. It's not a big deal, blah, blah, blah. But it's the exact same mental fight as high-level UFC fight. Yeah. Like, exact same mental. You still got to get up Just because the it. level of, like, 
for example, I'll use basketball. Basketball is a great example. The NBA, those guys on the basketball talking shit and jocking for position and getting people by shit talking. They're getting people not to shoot the ball or to pass the ball or to not pass the ball and shoot the ball. Like the shit talking affects the game, the mental aspect. That same mental aspect is down here in rec ball. If 10, if 10 of us are playing five on five rec ball, we have the same mentality. It's the same mental warfare that's in the NBA game. Yeah. The exact same. Now in the NBA, all those guys are aware that those mental tactics are being used and they understand what it's doing to the game. In the rec game, maybe two guys understand. And those two guys are manipulating everybody else. It's the same in low-level MMA. Low-level MMA, low-level jiu-jitsu, all that. Those guys don't understand. Half of them don't understand they're playing a mental game. So I get some of my students, they'll be talking and all friendly to these other teams. And then all of a sudden, they wonder why they're not fighting with the same ferocity that they were in the beginning matches. Well, in the beginning of matches, you didn't talk to anybody. Right. Everybody was the enemy. You were there to win. Then you got a couple matches in. You started humanizing these people that you're about to try to break their limbs. It's hard, unless you're an absolute savage with a switch, to hurt people that you were just being friendly with. It's hard to do. I am a savage. Like by any definition of the word, I grew up super poor. I went to the military right away. I got out of the military, didn't get a normal job, got a fighting job. Okay. I've been fighting my whole life. I have a hard time hurting people that I'm friendly to. Yeah. If I have a hard time, the normal dude's definitely going to have a time. So that's, that's the one thing is these guys don't understand that mental game that they're playing right away. So I wanted to make sure that when we got into jujitsu, I made it easy for my students. Yeah. They didn't see their coach walking around and being all friendly and all that. My students now sometimes have a hard time because I am a black belt. I can't just walk around the tournament and be a dickhead to everybody like I could when I was a purple belt. Sure. Like now these other school owners know me. They're coming up and like, hey, James, how are you doing? So they see me doing that, and then they're doing it with the their competitor. Yeah. And I'm like, it's hard to understand, you know? So I, t- I try to explain, it's okay. And that's what's in that six-week program. Yeah. It's okay to be a savage. Everything in our society now is telling men to be less savage, to be more in tune with their feelings and like that. I'm telling my guys the same thing. Be in tune with your feelings. You you have a feeling to be a savage. Yeah. I get my jujitsu students. I tell them, if you don't have a day, this country's telling you all the time that you are to be a good citizen and to be an absolute savage who destroys everything around you is not good. So sign up to jujitsu and get that day. Right, right. I'll sign you up for a tournament and you'll have a day where you get to wake up and you get to not give a fuck about anything and you just be a savage. 
Yeah. And if somebody slaps and bumps your hand, you get to fuck them up like as hard as you want. Why pollute that one day you get with some soft shit? Sure, yeah. Who gives a fuck if Billy from Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is a super nice guy with two kids? Like, fuck him today. Like, on Sunday, hey, that's a great guy. Nice to meet you. I'm glad we fought. But on Saturday, fuck you. I don't know you. I don't know your kids. I would spit in your kid's face if I see him on Saturday. On Saturday. On Sunday, back to... Barbecue. It's cool. Yeah, you know what I mean? But I get so many students who don't take advantage of that day. They allow themselves to be a savage for... One one, one hour, yeah. one hour, and then okay. they immediately let down. They immediately relax. So through that six week program that I'm offering, I help these guys develop. You know that switch. Like it is okay. I am gonna turn it on. Like for these next two hours, I don't give a fuck if my phone rings. I don't give a fuck nothing. I'm banging out this stuff. If somebody comes in and tries to stop me. I'm going to deal with them like a savage. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in my savage mode. Like, I'm going to tell them, like, not right now. Because a lot of us males, too, we deal with how to assert our male dominance mm-hmm. with respect, right? We're doing something. Someone comes to distract us. And because we're doing something, we use that as an excuse as, like, why to be an asshole, Right, right. You know, we're just like, I was doing something. You're interrupting me. I got to get it done. So there's a more tactical way to insert your male dominance, you know, letting somebody know why something is important and that you don't have time to them and that you will get back to them and things like that. So same thing in the in the tournament. There's a way to shut all that nice guy shit down and the person can either understand or they don't. Yeah. For example, I had a young fighter fighting, um, what was it, last Saturday? And one of his competitors came up to him after the first time they competed and was like, hey, man, nice match. Boom, boom. And my fighter looked him in the eyes and was like, whatever, bro. Ugh. You know? And the dude took offense to that. Yeah. And he came and talked to me and was like, hey, uh, excuse me, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, what do you need? And he said, uh, I tried to say good game to your sure, your yeah. buddy, and he was very rude to me. I looked him in the eyes, and I said, whatever, bro. Right? Gave him the same thing. And he asked me, he's like, he's like, why would you say that? I was like, do you want to fight? And he was like, what? I was like, this is a fighting competition. I'm here for fighting. Right. And you're trying to talk shit to me about my boy. Like, so you want to fight? And he was like, no, 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 no. I was like, do you want to fight him? And then the guy showed up, um, my fighter showed up and was like, what's up? You trying to fight? And the guy's like, no, no, it's a one-way fight. I don't want to fight. I don't know what you guys are doing. You don't. You're right. You don't know what we're doing. We don't fuck with you like that. Yeah. We're about to fight you again in 20 minutes. But Because you got to be hyped the whole day because you're going through multiple in, matches, right? Locked in the whole yeah. day. But that was that guy's strategy. He was a super scared guy. Like, he was scared of everyone in his bracket. So his strategy at tournaments is to go and humanize everybody, right? 
So he shows up to a tournament and sees everyone as a monster. Everyone is super scary. So he goes and introduces himself, finds out about their family, and learns like, oh, this guy's not that scary. This guy works at Kinko's. And that eases his mind. Eases his mind. So he can get into the zone of it, yeah. So I'm like, fuck those guys. (laughs) I don't ease your mind. You come up to me, you try to introduce yourself, I'll introduce myself as fucking the guy who lives down the street hunting your family. <laughs> you know? Fuck that. <laughs> but that that's a strategy that that goes in all parts of life. Yeah. I know tons of young men who are held back because they don't want to disappoint their aunt. You know? Aunt Susie's got this idea of... um that they're a certain way and the way they want to go with their life is going to change those people's opinion. Sure. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't give a fuck what they think. No. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you have to be up literally the whole day and then it is good to kind of pour yourself into something that you can, we all have it. Like we were raised as Neanderthals, right? Like, yeah, it's, every it's mammal grapples. Us. Yeah, exactly. So to be able to let that out and in a positive way too, because it's, it's not fighting for fighting's sake. It's fighting to make yourself better. And yeah. then even for you too, is, is the mentality of it. Can you shut it off pretty good between Saturday and Sunday? Mm. So, I'm the flag bearer. Mm -hmm. I think in the beginning when I opened a gym, I never shut it off. I was was like enemies with everybody all the time. It's one reason why I trained so much because I sucked and I wanted to be better (laughs) so I could back up all the shit I talked. Right. But now I have select like friends in the community and we train with them a little bit. And so that's me turning it off. Okay. It's like we go visit a gym for an open mat. That's me turning off. It's like I'm turning off that competitive spirit. Right. And I'm enjoying the sport with the community and like being friends with people and stuff like that. But there's just too much on the line to give up that competitive edge. One of the best documentaries I've seen or interviews I've seen in the past year was the one with uh, Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And they were going over all his games and he was talking about how he took so much things personal. Yeah. And there's a great part in there where he says that a guy came over after a game and said, nice game. And he said, I took that personal. And the next game he came over and dropped like 60 points on him or something. <laughs> right. Then they do an interview with the guy that uh-huh. came over and said, hey, nice game to Mike day before. And the guy's like, I never said nothing to <laughs> Michael Jordan. And it was at that moment that I realized like, you know, there's dudes on this world with another mentality. Yeah. Not only is Michael Jordan crazy as fuck, like he created a fake thing to get pissed off at. And the fake thing worked. Think about the fake thing. The fake thing wasn't like, yo, Mike, I dominate you. No, it was, hey, nice game. Right. And then he purposely misinterpreted 
something he made up so that it would push him the next day to dominate the team. So when people are like, oh, coach is crazy. He's got this crazy way of thinking. I'm like, no, I don't. Like, this is the way that I have to think to guide the team this way. We're not that great of a team. It's not like we're just beating the fuck out of everybody. No, we struggle too. Yeah. So imagine how much we would struggle if I wasn't leading everybody like, and to me, I'm telling them the truth. I'm like, these guys aren't your friends. They're going to hurt you. They're literally going to get in there and try to do physical harm to you. Why would you think that guy's your friend? Yeah, they're not trying to make baskets. Yeah. They're not trying to make goals. They're trying to break a part of you. Yeah. So you're going to go in there and be like, oh, man, I can't wait to have this match with Billy. He's such (laughs) a good guy. This is going to be so fun. You know, no. It's not. (laughs) Yeah, it's not. So I I feel like that's okay. I feel like everything in American society, especially lately, is telling you that that's not, that's not okay. You can't have that savage mentality. Even if it is a cutthroat thing, you're supposed to like act like you're not cutthroat. Yeah. And that's just not the truth. I always think it's weird because you also look at how popular football is, basketball is, all these sports that require that mentality. Like football, you're in a car wreck against another human being every play like you have to get up for that there's no there's no way to be like oh hey i'm not going to just smash your face in or i'm not going to pick you up slam you that way i can protect my quarterback yeah there's got to be that mentality of going to war in there or else you may not fully perform to your capabilities MMA community is a little bit better with that. It's not as friendly, Mm -hmm. but it is super friendly if you've ever been in a boxing community. Okay. I'm blessed and I get to go and train with some of the best boxers in DC out at 15 rounds. Shout out Dusty Harrison. Uh, He's got a fight, I think, September 4th. Okay. All right. Uh, Got moved back or whatever. Um, so after the grand opening, I'll be out there watching him. Yeah. That's a busy day for you. huh? Yeah. Um, he was supposed to fight in August, but it, the show got slid back. There's a bunch of talented boxers boxing on that DC card. Um, that's right here. A lot of pro boxers, yeah. a lot of boxes out of Dusty's gym, a lot of boxes out of old school boxing too. That's owned by Buddy Harrison, but training there, there's no teams. Like, it's kind of a team, and they all kind of support each other. Mm-hmm. But it's a bunch of different trainers training their individual couple boxers inside one gym. So those sparring rounds are no mercy, no glove touching, like yeah. dudes smashing dudes. That's not the case in MMA gyms. Most MMA gyms I've been to, except some of the best ones, there's glove touching. Dudes aren't trying to knock each other out. Guys are working on skills and things like that. But the difference is those boxers are getting ready for boxing fights. Yeah. And they're fully ready. You get MMA guys, they never spar 100% and they're not fully ready. So that's where some of that nice guy jujitsu mentality comes in is like in jujitsu, 
it's like this, it's weird. The guys who created it, created it on showing up to other gyms and mm-hmm. being like, fuck you, your jujitsu sucks and fighting in the street. And then those guys got old yeah. and started telling everybody jujitsu is about respect and and loving one another and blah, 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 blah. Even though that's not how they came up. Right. Boxing ain't never been about that. Boxing's been about knocking each other out since the jump. So MMA's in the middle of that. Yeah. So that's that's where some of that comes from. And I guess, you know, working with boxers and stuff like that, I've really saw that that approach, that nice guy approach is not the way. You know, these boxers make millions and millions and millions right. of dollars. And a lot of it has to do with that they're not so intertwined. When this guy gets a a fight contract, mm-hmm. he's on an MMA team with 20 guys. I guarantee those other 19 guys know everything about that contract. That's in, in a boxing like gym. Right. Yeah. In a boxing gym, it ain't like that. Right. Because there's so much fragmentation. Yeah, everyone's separate. So this guy's got his own deal. This guy's got his own deal. And they're all kind of competing against each other. Whereas like most MMA teams that I've seen, it's like one cohesive unit. So it brings the whole team up a little bit, but it kind of holds the whole team back a little bit. Because you can't get those true individual performances up. Like if you look at, what the what we're talking about with boxing, you can really hone in and yeah. say, this person's the best in the gym and now is also the best in the yeah. area. While there's more of a team aspect to MMA, because I was going to ask you about that because it, it's... The smaller teams. Yeah. But like you brought up American Top Team. Yeah. They're a great example of an MMA team that's moved into a boxing... Mentality. Mentality. Like they have 50 coaches there who are all working with different fighters. And then they fight those fighters inside the gym. So, like, even though I just had an MMA fight, Mm -hmm. my best sparring rounds came from the boxing gym. Because you're going almost full on in boxing. With a guy who's trying to fuck me up. Right, yeah. Like, that guy doesn't know me, you know? And to be real, it's a boxing gym in D.C., so I'm the white boy. Yeah. So it's like, you got to beat the shit out of the white boy. Right. My first day in that gym was a rough one. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> yeah. Sure. But that's going to get me way better for the mentality of a fight and the aggression of the fight and the adrenaline of a fight than going in there and kicking my friends yeah. and not being this like bad blood. Yeah. There's these big gyms. You know, like uh, Team Alpha Male and American Top Team. And even here um, in town, they have Lloyd Irvin's Mixed Martial Arts. Yep. Those guys fuck each other up. Yeah. The reputation of a Lloyd Irvin's practice room is that they're not fucking around. All I've heard from Irving is that it's always been hard. Yeah. My my coach, um, my MMA coach gave me a black belt. He trained at Lloyd's for a long time. You know, he always talks about Master Lloyd being hard as fuck. But look at their team. They're winning. They win a lot. So that hard as fuck mentality has produced a lot of wins. Has he broken a lot of people's heart? 
have a lot of people left his gym and said, that's the wrong mentality. <laughs> yes. But have you won more than him? Have you know what I mean? And that guy, that guy built his own gym. Yeah. Team Lord Urban, you know? So I don't see how you can stand up on your own shit and not have that savage mentality. Well, and also with boxing, you box a lot more frequently than you were at an MMA fight, too. Same thing. It's the same mentality for Muay Thai, where you can have 20 fights in like three months. It's just insane. Those Muay Thai guys are crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. One of my buddies does it, and I don't understand it. They're crazy. Like every pure Muay Thai guy I know or pure kickboxing, they don't want to do no MMA, and they're just crazy. Yeah. Like, screw loose. Like, people think that I'm crazy. I'm like, nah, (laughs) you should meet some of my kickboxers. And then I'd be like, you sure you don't want to learn the ground? They're like, nah, I just want to knock people out. (laughs) I'm like, you're fucking insane. And then they have just cinder blocks for legs just going in. Yeah, Yeah, I don't want to fucking do Muay Thai. I did a kickboxing fight back in 2010. We became friends after. Okay. Uh, me and the dude named Ryan Long, really good guy. And uh, I mean, he beat the shit out of me pretty <laughs> good. The fight ended up being a draw. Well, that makes you feel better, right? No, I got my <laughs> ass whooped pretty good. <laughs> I remember after the fight, I didn't remember the fight at all. And because I didn't remember the fight, I kept telling my friend, I was like, I must have got beat up in there pretty good. And he's like, why you say that? Like, I don't remember shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that. that was when I was like, man, that kickboxing shit is, is crazy. Not for you. And I wasn't really a kickboxer back then. So I boxed most of the whole fight. And I'm lucky that me, I'm pretty sure that me boxing made him stick to mostly boxing. Yeah. Because in the fight, you can hear his corner like, it's kickboxing, kick him. And the couple of times he did kick into me, it fucked me up. So, yeah, man. <laughs> I, can, those, I can see that. Just those kickboxing guys are insane. <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, that sport, Lathway? Yeah. Wow. With the headbutts and shit. It's insane. Oh, my insane. God. And they got that one dude, the bald dude. Man, I don't remember his name. He's basically the... The Lathway master. Yeah. Cause I I saw a couple documentaries about that. The one that I was thinking of too, because they they did all of like Southeast Asia and just all the martial arts in there. And uh just insane how full bore everything is. They use every limb and then just go in there and just knock you out. That's their whole goal. And the headbutts. Yes. I was watching a guy teach and he was like, straight drab, right elbow, headbutt, clinch, headbutt. I'm like, this guy's putting headbutts in his combos. Like, I'm not fucking with him. (laughs) And his mentality, the interviews of him, he was just like, I love to fight. And this is the most pure fighting. Yeah. Because we talk about like CTE in the States and, and, yeah, concussions and stuff like that. He's like, care no, about that. yeah, we're we're going to give each other concussions. I got a chance to work in a CTE clinic. Okay, and uh, what was the hospital? 
It was the old Walter Reed on Georgia Avenue before okay. they shut it down. And I was in the Army working there as a respiratory therapist. And I was rotating clinics. And, uh, man, that that's one thing that will scare you. Yeah. You, you know, you start looking at some CT because everybody's brain reacts different from concussions. So sometimes people can get a concussion and it can change everything. Sometimes got you get a concussion and you're fine now. 30 years from now, you start feeling the effects. from. Mm. So the CT is it, definitely, definitely makes you train harder if you know about it. And for real, for real, going against some of the people who don't know about it, mm-hmm. they seem a little less scared to get hurt because they don't really know the consequences. For example, you think the Lathway guy is looking up CTE shit? No. No. He's not worried about that. If he did any CTE research, he'd probably be terrified for his future. (laughs) You know, he's smashing his head. He was doing an interview where he talked about how he got knocked out. You have to get knocked out twice in this sport. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. He talked about a championship fight where he got knocked out. Twice. Yeah, he got knocked out. He went to the corner. They recovered him. Something happened to where he ended up getting a little more time. Yeah. And that's what the little extra time, like, got some of the fog. And he went in there and knocked the guy out (laughs) and knocked him out twice. That's crazy. I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's nuts. That's, that's might be better than some of the, like the underdog finishes yeah. that you've seen in like yeah. UFC where clearly someone is almost knocked out. Like a uh, Greg Hardy just had this happen to him where he, he got Tyavusa pretty, pretty yeah, good. He attacked him good. Yeah. And then he was like, Oh, I'm going to sleep now. I guess. Yeah. That Tyavusa dudes hit like a truck. <laughs> yeah. So I was fighting a heavyweight. And uh, realistically, I'm just a midget. Can't <laughs> fight. I fought a big dude named Mike Jones. And the craziest thing about that fight is me and my team were super confident I was going to win. And okay. then I could, I could get around all the bigness of him. And uh, my last fight, he was there with a, a young fighter from his camp. They had two fighters there or whatever. And I stood next to the guy. You know, we dapped it up. So yeah, saying, yeah. Um, we're, we're friends now. I was like, I can't believe I fucking fought you. <laughs> you know, this dude's a super heavyweight, 350 pounds. Good Lord. Yeah. He's like two of you now. Yeah, 6'3", six, 6'5", six, right around there. And you fought this dude at heavyweight. Not only did I fight him, but minutes before the fight, well, not even minutes, seconds before the fight, I saw a bunch of people behind him looking at me like I was about to die. (laughs) And I remember thinking, like, you guys are so crazy. Like, you guys don't know how good I am. Like, I'm about to fuck this guy up. I didn't fuck him up. (laughs) I I did decent. I ended up getting him to the ground for a second. You know, I made a couple mistakes on the ground, and he got on top of me. And then the ref stopped the fight. That'll do it. Yeah, heavyweight, you can't let guys take too many punches, which is crazy because I think I only took three or four punches and the ref stopped it. 
And my last MMA fight, I punched the guy in the head like 30 times. <laughs> so like at lightweight, you can beat the hell out of a guy. It's so weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I guess the refs just think that the heavyweights are obviously trucks going yeah. into you, right? Oh, it is though. But in theory, it's the same. Like if you're if you're turtling up, if you're getting hit, you're getting hit. You don't need to necessarily have 10 or 15 more shots. Yeah, some of these amateur fights, it's crazy because my mentality in amateur fights has always been like, you need to protect yourself. They're going to stop it quick because it's amateur. They're not going to let it go on. But the last set that we went to, man, these guys let us beat the shit out of some wow. dudes. I mean, my coach, when I sent him the video of the fight, his first comment was like, damn, that guy liked getting punched in the face, yeah. you know, because he wasn't doing very good moves to get out or stop okay. me from hitting him. And then the ref just let me hit him a bunch. And then my young guy, he fought before me and he might have elbowed this dude 40 times. Good Lord. It was it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. If you're my guy and you get elbowed 10 times, I'm probably going to stop it. Okay. Especially amateur. Yeah. Like, because I know about CTE. Yeah. You know, like, we were leaving. So that fight happened two fights before my fight. And then after my fight, I had a big adrenaline dump. So I went and laid down in the back for a while. As I got up, changed, got all our stuff together, which we have a ton of shit because mm -hmm. we had two fights. The dude my boy fought was still in the back, sitting on a chair, oh, staring man. at the ground. Fucked up. You know, he just ate 40, 50 elbows. Yeah. And I don't know his corner. I don't know any of those guys personally. But they were sitting there watching my man take a shitload of damage. And, and this is for an amateur. like Amateur, not getting paid. Yeah, we've seen Holloway put on two clinics of just beating the shit out of another human being. Those guys are getting paid. Well, and there's win bonuses. Exactly, exactly. So if you this stop, is amateur. If you stop a professional fight with a win bonus, you're potentially taking money from the other guy. Right. And we've seen all kinds of amazing comebacks. And another thing about two guys on their feet striking is that at any time... A guy could slip and end up in a submission or something like that. And then it's over and yeah. But my fighter had the other fighter mounted. So it wasn't like he was going to slip with one of those elbows and, and all of a sudden. 30, 40 oh, elbows brother, in a mount. It's brutal. It's oh a brutal God. fight. The guy lets it go on past the first round. So we get to the second round. My fighter comes over in the. In the fight's the, not done. No. He kept it going. It's crazy. He kept it going. My fighter's exhausted from beating the shit out of the guy. <laughs> and he looks me in the eye with like this desperation look. And I'm like, calm down, relax. And he has a big adrenaline dump because he did enough to get the fight stopped, but the fight didn't get stopped. So then you have a little panic. You start going like, can I finish this guy? Right. I tell him, I'm like, this guy's fucking done. He's going to come out with some big crazy shit. And you stuff that and whoop his ass. And that's what happened. The guy came out with a big head kick, which can kind of tell what guys are going to do. Mm -hmm. my, my fighter stuffed it, took him down real way, beat him up, end up triangling. Mm. 
But yeah, it was it's unnecessary, you know. But that's where their coaches not having a medical background, not understanding, yeah. you know what I mean, which makes them dangerous. They're more they're more dangerous. You got you got to beat them all the way, you know. Right, because they're not going to go away. You don't got to beat my guy all the way. Right. If you beat my guy enough, I'm gonna stop it, especially an amateur. Yeah. So. I th- I think you had a good point because some some people always question why aren't there more towels thrown in like UFC, Bellator, or whatever. But yeah. the money's there, right? Money. Finished performance, the night of the night performance bonuses, all of those. So- also, you don't know what their pre-fight talk was. Sure. So as a professional. I reserve the right to fight my professional fight how I want. As an amateur, I fight how my coach wants. For example, in my super high heavyweight title fight, I did clinch against the cage some too, but I threw a lot more hands. Mm -hmm. Now, I wasn't that successful because the reach advantage and stuff, but that's what my coach wanted. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So in the amateur leagues... That pre-fight is whatever your coach is telling to develop you into a pro. So you got to fight like that so you have those skills as a pro. But as a pro, that's my career. So if I tell my coach, like, you don't fucking stop this no matter what, he should should oblige by that. Sure. Like the last Dante Wilder fight, he fired all his coaches. And a lot of people gave him slack over that and were like, they were doing your best. Uh, Tyson Fury was fucking knocking mm-hmm. you out, which he was. He was beating my boy up pretty good. <laughs> but they talked before that, and Dante told him, like, you let me die out there. Yeah. So, of course I fire you. This is a professional team. It's my career. I told you to do a certain thing, and you went against that. I don't care what you thought. Like you're fired. Yeah, because at that level, you've already proved to pretty much everybody that you kind of know what you're doing. You should know what your limitations are at that point, too. Well, even if it's beyond your limitations, yeah, you are a professional. You earn the right to paint how you want to paint. If, if you want to paint your canvas and then light it on fire, that's you. You're a pro. Yeah. If you're in art class as an amateur then you need to do it how I tell you. Because you get graded on it. Yeah, you see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. But once you're a pro and you're selling your skills, yeah. like, if you want to die out there, that's that's your right. Is there a lot more towel throwing in amateurs then? No. No? No. Nowhere no. near enough? There's a bunch of fucking coaches who are trying to be the greatest amateur coach of all time, and they're trying to push people through. So it's a fine line. Like I said, a lot of these coaches are great fighters themselves. Sure. So they spent their whole life fighting. I'm looking at this as a guy who worked in the medical field for six years. No, I was a respiratory therapist. I've seen tons of brain injuries. Uh, Another thing I recommend, don't get shoulder surgery, right? I've seen... About 15% of shoulder surgeries work. I've seen none of them work on MMA fighters. Really? None of them. 
And one of the big reasons is because guys train right away. And the other reason is the Kimura. Just rips it. The Kimura is designed to rip your shoulder. That's what it's for. Nobody taps. Every, especially the highest level guys. That's why right. they're the highest level because they don't fucking quit. They're not just tapping to anything. So the shoulder surgery already has a low percentage effective rate. But again, I was in the medical field. So I know that that doctor wants to cut you. You did not go to your consultation for this guy to be like, it's very rare that there's a surgeon who's like, oh, no, you don't need surgery. That's like a good surgeon. Most surgeons are real crazy fucks who <laughs> like to cut people open. So they're going to do that. They're, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and do this. So, so I'm, I'm free on Thursday. Come on in. And now you going in on Thursday, getting this surgery, you might not need it. It was it was wild. So I I just had back surgery really? two months ago. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, but I I've, I've been dealing with it since 2015. I got re-ended in 2015 and then re-ended in 2017. So something happened though. Yes, yeah, something happened though, right? Now, the first go-round for all of this, no one really wanted to do surgery. They were just like That's good. Yeah. They were just like, oh, it's just a bulging disc, just stretch work out, maybe it'll get better. And then fast forward six, almost seven years in the future now, and I'm finally getting cut open because nothing got better, no matter what I did. That's good, though. Yes. And what what I felt with this dude is that he was actually listening and going through all the steps again, which is great. But there is that I make a living... Yes. Cutting people up and fusing bones together. So yeah. you're you're here. Let's look at it. Because he tried scheduling the surgery once we decided that we were going to do it. Literally like a week after. And yeah. I was like, oh, holy shit. I got work to figure out. I got all this stuff. He was like, yeah, it's game time. Let's go. Yeah, no, he's ready to go. That's the same thing with these MMA coaches. They're willing to put these fighters through crazy amount of punishment. So that the end of the night, they can be like, yeah, I had two fighters win and blah, blah, blah. It's like, or just take the L because it's not a big deal. Nobody gives a fuck. And save your dude from getting elbowed by my guy 50 times in the fucking head. You know? That's still insane to me. Yo, you need to see the fight. Yeah, I do. When you watch this fight, You'll have the same comment as everybody. Holy shit, they should have stopped. <laughs> it's always weird to me, too, because like what we were talking about with heavyweight versus lightweight and the refs really like have a completely different approach to it, it feels like, right? So it, it can change even with some people who are like, oh, yeah, they're they're giving them space to work. They're respecting the fact that he can maybe bounce back or something like that. But I would think in the amateurs, it's so much more important to protect your guys because these are the ones that are coming back to you. They're not on a higher level. You want to get them to a safe space to get to that highest level. You don't want to burn them out and and beat them up that much. Yeah. Like I said, it's not the ref. I I don't blame the ref in these situations. Through the whole interview, I want to make sure that's clear. 
I love those refs that were at the event. You know, some people want to put the blame on the ref, but it's not the ref's job to keep you safe or your fighter safe in the sense of like stop him from taking, I wouldn't say unnecessary damage. Like it is his job to keep both guys safe at the end. Like the ultimate safety of like not letting them die. Yes. Okay. It's not him to stop you from getting brain injury. Like you're in there to concuss each other. Yeah. So it's not like the guy wasn't still making some movements and you know what I mean? He wasn't completely intelligently defending himself. Yeah. And that's the thing at amateur. Yes. The guy was not intelligently defending himself, but does he have the skills to defend himself highly intelligently or is he defending himself to the highest level of intelligence he has? So you can't blame the amateur ref in there because he's dealing with amateurs. Sure. When it's professional, then it's supposed to look professional. And when it starts looking bad, he can stop it and understand like, okay, this guy is not fighting like he can. That amateur guy, that might have been the the best he got. You know what I'm saying? So it's up to that coach to know his guy. Like, if I see my guy on the bottom eating elbows, I know I trained him how to get out of that. When he's not moving how I trained him, then I know the outcome is probably going to be pretty bad. So then I stop it. You know, I stop jujitsu matches all the time. Okay. I just had uh, one of my females caught in a Kimura lock and she was making a move that probably wasn't going to get her out of it. Sure. But in her mind, she was about to get out. So she wasn't going to tap to it. So I stopped it. And uh, she came off the mat and was like, what the fuck? I'm like, why? And I was like, look, that shit was about to get bad for you. <laughs> the ref wasn't going to stop it. The other coach wasn't going to stop it. My fighter wasn't going to stop. The only way she didn't get her fucking arm snapped there was that I didn't care about winning. Sure. And I only cared about making sure she didn't get her arm broke there. And I protected the whole scenario. You know what I mean? And uh, she ended up coming back and rear naked choking her next opponent, which she wouldn't have did with a broke arm. You know? That's what I was just thinking about. Because even if this is late into the day, she might still have another match yeah. right after that. Like, you got to think, well, I, I would assume it's tough because you got to have the savage mentality, but also have that kind of like trust into your coach to see, okay, he has eyes. He can see it from me, different angles or, yeah. or whatever, right? And then you're just like, oh, I have another match after this. I have another way yeah. to compete after this. And then I also, by knowing her skill set, knew she was caught in a predicament that she didn't know how to get out of, where that ref doesn't know that. So when that guy's on the bottom eating those elbows, that ref didn't know that he didn't know how to get out of that. Right. To that ref, he's just getting elbowed. He's about to kick in. He's about to do the right moves to get out. Okay, he's not. Okay, he's not. Now it kind of looks like he is. Uh, okay, not. Whereas his coach, who was sitting two feet away from him, 
should have been like, uh, I think the kid's name was Xavier. Sure. He should have been like, okay, Xavier's not doing what he does in practice. He just ate five more elbows to the head. He's still not doing that. Okay, I'm going to stop this. Yeah. And then you pull Xavier and say, hey, I stopped it. You weren't doing A, B, and C, you know. And then you have a fresher mind in theory, too. So when you look at the tape and say, hey, you know, this is what you were doing. This is what we trained in class. Yeah. We got to work on that. And again, that's their gym. Yeah. They do it how they want. But like, I have an opinion on, uh, there's a thing in jujitsu where people say, well, I'll just go compete. And the worst that can happen is I lose and I'm going to, I'm going to learn anyways. Sure. Right. Which I don't believe because you're still, you're, you're getting a loss and you're accepting that losing is okay. And then that's part of the process and things like that. And you don't have to accept that. You can, you can say, no, I'm going to win. I'm here to win. I'm always here to win. You can't do that the day of. You got to do that the months before. Got to be there to win the competition months before. And if you do that, when you show up the day of, you're really going to believe you're going to win. So the same thing is like, I'm not going to let you eat a fucking whole round of getting your ass whooped when I can stop that. And that realistic experience doesn't have to, you don't have to battle that the next fight. Like that kid now has to go in the next fight knowing that he got beat up for two whole rounds. You could have stopped it in the first one and he could have been like, yo, what the fuck? Why did you stop that? I I was about to win. You were. This is what I saw. I'm sorry I stopped it. You'll get him the next one. Yeah. He don't have that mentality of that fight. Yeah, it takes it away the loss completely. That that mentality he has on that fight now is there wasn't shit I could do. I got my ass whooped the whole time. These other guys are training like maniacs. Like, you got to battle. I know. I got my ass whooped in a fight, and it fucking broke me for a little yeah. bit. You know, I had to revamp everything, build myself back up, build back up confidence. Because you start thinking like, can I fight? Nah, I can't fight. I just got my ass whooped. Right. I can't fucking fight. So you got to go through the whole fucking process again. So showing up just to compete and not showing up to like win and take throats, that doesn't work for me. So those guys who can just show up and compete at a high level and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, that's not me. So I got respect for that. Do you feel more of a loss when it's your own personal loss or one of your fighters? Back in the day, I used to feel worse with a fighter. Okay. Now it's uh, me personally. And one of the things is because as I continue to train more young people and more people in general, is I can't control the person. Sure. Like. Back in the day, I used to feel like I had complete control of a fighter and their outcome was based solely on how well I trained them and how well I prepared them. And now it's like I can lead a horse to water. I can't make him drink. Sure. So I've been through plenty, especially jujitsu competitions where I beg guys, you got to do this. You got to train like this. You, you got to focus on these techniques. 
and then they don't do it. They get their ass whooped, and then I'm feeling bad about myself or what. So I don't do that no more. You know, I, as far as feeling bad, uh, I, I keep it to myself. Okay. You know, and I take pride in knowing that I told you the things I had to say. Because some of the shit I have to say in fighting is not going to feel good. Sure. You know, yeah. especially if you're slacking. Now, if I feel like we're not where we need to be in a camp, because you got to peak a person, right? Mm-hmm. But if I feel like we're not where we need to be, and I feel like that's going to be detrimental later on in the camp, then I'm going to let you know that, and that's probably going to hurt your feelings. Yeah. You know, because when you take on a one-on-one competition, you are saying that you deserve all this time and attention, and the thing we're chasing is going to be worth it. You're not going to let us down. You're not going to waste my time. So if we're not hitting the marks, I'm probably going to take that pretty personal, and I'm going to ream your ass, and that shit ain't going to feel good. Yeah, because it's not just their time investment. It's your time investment. So if we get to the competition and it doesn't go the way, then I'll I'll feel good that I said what needed to be said. Do you even hold some of that mentality with like your kids too? Saying, hey, you know, I, I've done all my best. There's- I'm lucky. Okay. All my kids are awesome right now. So, <laughs> right now. Yeah, right <laughs> the now. little caveat. <laughs> so I only have one uh, older kid. She's 14. Okay. She just finished eighth grade, number one in her school. Oh, wow. That's awesome. She's a fucking jujitsu star. She's jacked. She's pretty. So she's on top of it right now. And then my next oldest just turned nine. Okay. And he's not old enough to suck yet. <laughs> you know? I like, it's that. like he's still cool as shit. You know? <laughs> when I see him, he's like, what's up, dad? Telling me a bunch of shit I already know. Right. You know, dad, did you know this is how you start the lawnmower? It's like, <laughs> oh, I did, son. That's cool, right? <laughs> you know? So he's still great. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Not old enough to suck yet. I like that. Yeah, like the boys, you know, in my experience with uh, coaching them, they don't really start being shitty till like 12, 13, get a little hair on their yeah. nuts, start thinking they're yeah, as far as my daughter, though, I did a lot when she was young to put some good stuff in mm-hmm. her to where now when she's 14, I feel like we're on maintenance. I gave her good study habits when she was young. Her mom gave her good study habits. So she does her homework. She's not a procrastinator. You know, She knows everything I know about the diet. So she chooses correct foods. That's good. She knows how to carb cycle. Yeah. Which is crazy powerful information when you're 14, you know? And she does a lot of these things naturally. So she was a girl, so it wasn't tough to get her to do it when she was young. She's a daddy's girl. So it's just like, hey, do this because daddy wants you to. Yeah. Now she's on autopilot. So we are dealing with the boys. (laughs) She does like boys. So we'll see how it goes from there. But. Right now she's pretty she's pretty straight, and yeah. so I kind of let her make her own mistakes, but she doesn't really make them. Sure, yeah, because you know? all the work you put in originally, maybe, maybe. You well, know what I mean, I all the time when I listen to people give me parent advice, I try to look at their kids. 
Okay. You know, it's like if you have adult kids and you're giving me parent advice, I'll usually take it because who's your kid? Oh, your kid's a doctor. All right. Well, then obviously the words and vibrations that you said to their ears made them confident enough that they believed they could accomplish this and they did. But if you have young ass kids and you're telling me how to raise a kid, you know, your kid might grow up to be a killer. Yeah. The things you're saying to them might fuck them up. You haven't graduated yet. Yeah. So I try not to give parenting advice because yeah. I don't have any final products. Sure. Yeah. So I, what the fuck do I know? But coaching advice, which is kind of like parenting in a yeah, way. Yeah. So sometimes I can give advice on how to like coach your kids through some shit. But overall parenting, I mean, I'm lucky. Yeah. That's it. Like I have one son that's exactly like me and we'll see how I do with him because <laughs> I was a problem as a kid, man. I gave my mom hell. So the first kid is, uh, is my daughter and we're just lucky. We're just I like lucky it. As shit. That's great. What do you think is one of the things that you've learned most about yourself throughout your journey with combat sports, coaching, and, and all all of that? Um, I would say the most thing I learned in combat sports is a sense of self, of who I actually am. An analogy I like to use with my team is that this sport is kind of like blackjack. Sure. All right. And you have a whole table and there's a bunch of people sitting around the table, right? But it's not a typical game of blackjack. Most people pull up to the table and they think it's a normal game of blackjack. Six, uh, six decks, the house always wins and blah, blah, blah. And what you find out is through this sport, it's actually a single deck game. And the dealer is you and you're playing against yourself and none of the other people on the table are playing the same game as you. Wow. Okay. And you make up your own cards. That top card is the card you always see. That's the card that you believe is you. You don't get into the game unless that card is high enough. Most people fold because they don't believe in themselves enough. So me personally, I believe my top card's an ace, all right? And I believe that wholeheartedly. That bottom card, you, that's who you really are. That's who you really are. You got to find out who you're made of. Well, how do you find out what that card is? You got to bet on yourself, right? So I bet on myself every time, right? And, and my bottom card is a king. Sure. Because I played the game so many times. So many times I bet on myself so many times. And what people don't understand is when you bet on yourself and the house wins, you end up failing or whatever. And those chips go away. They think they're going to go broke, right? That's why they don't gamble. Well, if you had like a hedge fund or mm -hmm. some endless supply of money, you gamble all day, right? Yeah. Well, you do. All right. The, the Lord or the spirit, whatever. Whatever you believe in, right? I believe in God. That's what I say. And uh, he supplies me with an endless amount of money to bet okay. on myself. An endless amount of money. Sometimes people look at the other cards on the table 
and they go, oh, well, that guy's got a nace and he's got a nace. And, uh, and mind you, these are just what these people are projecting. Yeah. It's their top card. It's not even really who they are. So you're folding based on what these other people are projecting, not even who they really are. And they're not even in the same game as you. So that top card gets you in believing in yourself. That bottom card, right? That sense of, of who I really am as self, that comes from constantly betting on myself and putting myself in the game and then flipping that card over. So through the treacherous practices, the being super sore and showing back up on Tuesday and telling everybody this is the way, I found out that my resiliency is through the roof. Yeah. I, I'm just not going away. Like, I'm the cockroach. I, um, <laughs> I'm not going away. I'm, I'm COVID, you know? Not it's going just, away. So I'm here forever. You're just going to continue to mutate. Yeah. There's going to be a I'm different gonna version of you. I'm going to show up on Monday, yeah. you know? And then, uh, and then grit, like true grit. You know, a bunch of people know uh, we don't have enough podcasts and we go through all the woes. <laughs> yeah. But even since moving through Maryland, you know, I lost my house to a fire. Lost every single thing I ever owned. You know, all my memories. I lost all my army stuff. Like, all oh, a bunch of wow. stuff I can't replace. Yeah, I had all my dress blues and stuff. I lost all that stuff. It's almost like losing your whole life before that, right? Yeah, it was so funny as people ask me about my army things. And, like, I was never proud of them. Like, it was all in a big box in the closet. That's why it burnt up so yeah. quick. Um, and literally all my army stuff, all my records, all my awards, everything was in one box. It wasn't displayed around the house and stuff like that. But when we were going through the rubble and I got to that box and it was burnt to ashes, it really did hurt. I felt like, you know, how am I going to prove to people that that I did sure. this and that I lived this life, you know? And even now I got a mullet and shit. So <laughs> thinking about the military so many years ago, I, I can't even believe that I actually did that. So, you know, maybe it was a way of kind of like letting that whole life go. I know a lot of military guys who they ain't been in the military in 30 years, but they talk like that's the greatest accomplishment of their life, which it is. I don't want to knock my own service, you know, or anyone else's service. But for me that I'm not done. Yeah. What I did in the army is not my crowning moment or things like that. And until that stuff all burnt up, you know, I held my hat on that a lot. That almost pushed you to to be who you are now, right? It's like I have to build a bunch more, yeah, like awards and stuff. No, I, I like it. What do you think keeps you driven to continue to pursue MMA, jujitsu, building your your schools up, continuing to bring everybody up around you as well? Spite. Spite. <laughs> Spite. Like that goes hand in hand with everything let's else. Let's be real. Yeah. Well, I have my kids uh-huh. and I got on this with the goal to give my daughter a school. Okay. All right. And then through this process, I have five sons. So they came after the schools, all five of the boys. Okay. So I got to open a lot more schools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, like that. Yeah, well, you got kids. three so far, just about. So yeah. you got a, five more to go, just almost, right? Yeah, I have six total. 
And the goal is obviously I want them to be able to do whatever they want. Yeah. I don't, I try not to push the fighting on them. My people would think my sons train with me every day. They don't. Sure. They don't. My daughter, she trained with me for a long time. In the past couple of years, I kind of let her slack off a bit and focus on her art and school and stuff like that. So the kids, obviously, but realistically, I had people very close to me when I got into this laugh at me and tell me it was a joke, tell me not to do it. I have people in my family what are you doing? Yeah. Why would you do this? This is so dumb. And I mean, I took that personal. Yeah. You know, just like Jordan said, took it personal because it's like, you don't believe in me. Like, what kind of person do you think that I am that I would just do something so crazy? You know what I mean? Obviously, I believe wholeheartedly that I can accomplish this. Yeah. That's why I'm telling. So at this point, it's purely out of spite, you know? And I'm, I tell my fighters too. I'm like, because again, society tells you that that's not a good feeling. Sure. You shouldn't feel that. But man, I do some of my best work trying to prove motherfuckers wrong. So I'll hold on to that. Yeah. You know, it's it's been 10 years since a certain person laughed in my face and told me that this would never work. And I still remember that vividly. You know, I as I'm cutting the ribbon to the school in Port Royal, yeah. I will be thinking about that moment. You know, I laugh thinking about that person laughing all the time. I'll be driving in my car, think about that moment and just start cracking up because <laughs> it's like you laughed at me and I've 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 helped open seven schools. Yeah, I physically opened five myself. So six, this will yeah. be six. Port Royal will be six. That'll be the sixth school that I opened myself. And seven, if you want to talk about the one that I rebranded, you know, so. And kids that work for me went on and opened their own schools. There you go. So I don't take credit for those, but it's like there's been over 10 schools that I've directly opened or indirectly opened or given the person the strategy to run their school. And I still think about that motherfucker laughing in my face every day. <laughs> I love it. That's a good way to end it. So that's great. Thanks. Appreciate you, Chris.